0: You're listening to audio from the town center campus of CA church located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Hey everyone is David Wood. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are going to begin a new series on the life of Abraham. Now, some of you here today, you, you may be thinking, well, that's great. Who's Abraham <laughs> and why should I care about his life? Which are good questions. Uh, it's always good to start with a why. Why are we spending eight weeks on a figure that is found in the middle parts of the very first book in the Bible? Well, because the story of Abraham's life really matters. And it matters because the living God of the universe picked him, picked his wife Sarah, he picked them out to carry out his purposes in history. You see, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, the living God reached down and spoke to a specific man, a specific woman living in a faraway place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Now that reach and that speech set into motion a journey. And this journey has implications not only for that man and that woman, but also for the whole world, including you and me, who are here this morning um, because of this fellow named Abraham. Okay. Okay. So if that doesn't pique your interest, let me get, let me give you a, a few reasons, a few more reasons, why walking through the life of Abraham is so important. Uh, the first one is this: all three of the major monotheistic religions of our time claim Abraham as their spiritual father. Do you know that? These are you know Judaism, Islam, and of course Christianity. Um, each, regi- each each of these religions claim that uh, they're living out the implications of this call placed upon Abraham and Sarah. 4,000 years ago. And I think studying the life of Abraham will help us dialogue with Jews and Muslims in our own time. The other other reason is this. If if you've ever read the New Testament, you'll know that it makes a claim that that to be in Christ is what? It is to be an offspring of Abraham. So you and I become heirs to the promises that were made to them. So listen to this. In in Galatians chapter 3, let me just read you this. Galatians chapter 3, He says, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And in in verse 29, he says these words. He says, and if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so if I'm going to better understand, you know, what I got myself into uh, as a Christian, I think I need to lean in and and learn about the lives of Abraham and Sarah. Who is this Abraham? Abraham. The other thing is the New Testament talks a lot about um, the fact that you and I are justified. Now, what does that word mean? It means that we are made right, we're made into a right relationship with God. And we're made this way because of his amazing grace. We receive this grace by faith in Jesus Christ. And so the question is, what is this faith that justifies us, that makes us right with God? What does this faith look like? Well... Let's look at the life of Abraham and Sarah, because Abraham and Sarah are exemplars of the kind of faith that the Bible is talking about. And so through looking at their lives, um, they display at times, not always, the faith that lays hold of the grace of God. So what does this faith look like? Well, this faith is not just intellectual. It's not just believing the right thing. It's actually what Martin Luther, a guy who wrote 500 years ago, he says, um, faith is, is throwing yourselves on God, saying, you know, I got nothing. I bring nothing to the table, God. I depend upon you. Now, the other thing about the life of faith in Abraham and Sarah is that the life of faith is a life of ups and downs. Uh, there's going to be times when we're looking at the life of Abraham, we're going to be like, whoa, this guy's pretty impressive. And there's other times to be like, yeah, that was kind of dumb. And you know what? I like that. Uh, I like the fact because, as, as, uh, as many scholars will say, there's no, there are no heroes in the Bible except one, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see in in Abraham and Sarah that their life of faith is kind of up and down. And I find that uh, quite comforting because, well, my life of faith is up and down. But hey, the most important reason why we're going through this is this. The story of Abraham and Sarah puts our story into a larger perspective. And man, we need that. And, And we discover in their story... That history is not some accidental story of accidental events. We discover that history is his story, is God, is a God in the midst of the raw material of history. And he works in cultures, he works in individual lives. And I think that's really important for you and I to get. I've said this before, but God's love is so infinite that he can love us finitely. And so we need to look at the life of Abraham and Sarah and see how God intersects um, with their lives and realize that that God is a God who can work in our own lives and that God can shape our lives and that he brings us into something that's much, much bigger than ourselves and therefore gives our lives meaning and purpose. So I hope that's enough to to, to get you going. So let us look at our key passages for today. So if you have a Bible, turn to the very first book in the Bible and turn to Genesis. And we'll start in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. We read, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And, as, and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us make a, let's build a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are now one people, And they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, his name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. We'll jump ahead to uh, verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, and the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive what you want to say to us. And then grant us courage to respond to whatever you say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the Genesis text tells us a number of things, but it tells us that Abraham and Sarah came from where? A place called Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, what do we know about this place? Well, it looks like it was located uh, in the northwest side of the Persian Gulf in, in, in what is today known as, uh, as southern Iraq. And records show, along with archaeology, that it, the city was a significant city. Uh, over a thousand years before the founding of Rome, Ur was a, was a flourishing society. Uh, it rose to greatness under the influence of the Sumerians. Who have a fair claim to be inventors of writing, law, and mathematics. So you can blame them if you hate math. Uh, but it was a pretty impressive group. Now, archaeologists also tell us that Ur had a pretty significant population at the time. Uh, at the time of Abraham's call, there's maybe around 500,000 people, which is pretty, pretty impressive. It had an extensive library, a postal system, a busy port, it had factories, people lived in apparently two story houses, and it even had a form of air conditioning. And now on the market front, things were um, bustling with jewelers, leather workers, potters. Um, apparently there's imports from all around the world from as, as far away as India even. And as for our couple, Abraham and Sarah, there's good evidence that uh, they were I know, fairly leading citizens in the city. Now we gather this from the abundant wealth as described in Genesis chapter 13, which we'll look at in a couple weeks. So we're not 100% sure, but it seems that Abraham and and, and Sarah were fairly well-educated, wealthy, cultured, business-savvy urbanites living in the city of Ur. Now, let's just pause here for a moment, because I want you to notice something. Without Genesis 12, these significant leaders whose names we know as Abraham and Sarah from the city of Ur, these two people have zero historical significance. None of us here would even know who they were. So where is their significance found? Well, it's not found in the position of power. It's not found in the stuff that they own. It's, it's, it's found in their relationship to God. It's, it's found in the call that God places upon their lives. And now we need to get this. We really need to get this, and sometimes we, we talk so much um, in our world about uh, building a legacy. But building a legacy apart from God, I mean, OK, a statue is built in your honor. That statue will eventually crumble. All the things, all the accolades will eventually disappear. I often ask a question to, to students of mine. And uh, I asked them this question. I said, uh, tell me, uh, what was your great-great-grandfather like? What was his personality like? And they just look at me with blank stares. um, Because they're like, how are we supposed to know? I'm like, exactly. That's only a couple generations away. And, you know, a lot of the things that we think that matter so much are just going to disappear. But it's our life with Jesus. It's our life in relationship to God that will make a difference, that will last. Now, in this case... The fact that the living God of the universe chooses this couple to begin a stream in history which will affect not just all of human history, but it will actually affect our own lives here in Coquitlam in 2023. So this is where they're from. They're from this place called Ur, and this is Abraham and Sarah. And so the next question is this. What is God going to do? Well, God reveals himself, and he actually calls Abraham, and he makes a tremendous promise to Abraham. He says, and there's two parts to the promise. He says, I will make your name great, Um, and I also make you to be a blessing. Your seed will be a a blessing to all the nations of the world. I mean, it's easy to gloss over this line, I will make your name great, but it has significant meaning, especially in light of the passage that we read back in chapter 11. Um, In Genesis chapter 11, what do we come across? Well, it's a familiar story for many people of the Tower of Babel. And there's so much in this story to unpack, but I just, just a couple themes I want us to pay attention to. Uh, part of God's design for creation, and this is revealed in the very first part of the book of Genesis, uh, part of God's design for human beings in particular was to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. Uh, to represent the ways of God to the four corners of the earth. It was to live our lives through, throughout the world in loving dependence on the one who created us and loved us. But what do we find here in chapter 11? Uh, And not only in chapter 11, but also in the chapters before and in the chapters after, rather than living our lives in dependence upon the God who loves us and cares for us, allowing God to be the center of our lives, what do we find humanity doing here? Well, they try to live their lives independently of God. They try to make it in life on their own. And so we find humanity in chapter 11 building a, a great tower, To make a name for themselves Um, and and archaeologists tell us that these these buildings that were being built uh, these towers were actually called uh, ziggurats and uh, that the Babylonians and other people built and and they look a little bit like this you can see a picture here now they're supposedly built so that people could climb up these and and they could climb up to the heavens and was to help human beings ascend to God and also it would be a place where God would come down And so what's happening here in chapter 11? Well, it's a picture of human beings on their own effort, through their own means, reaching up to lay hold of heaven. And the story reflects the desire of humanity to make a name for themselves. We see that, to make a name for themselves. And at the core of this is is what is commonly known as hubris, which is pride. It is saying that, that we will make the call To reach God on our own terms, we will build our own foundations to reach up to the heavens. Now, in essence, what's going on here is it's it's an expression of humanity, a a desire to live our lives independently of God. It's about making our own world apart from God. And so, in this passage, you come across the word "ourselves," 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 and so we're going to build up our lives with crappy old bricks that really won't hold together. We're going to raise our lives up to reach God, but in the end it's all going to come crumbling down. The point of chapter 11 is clear. When we try to make a name for ourselves, when we try to build our lives on ourselves, everything we make, the towers we raise will ultimately collapse. It will fail. It will fall. And in the end, people are going to get hurt. And so this is a picture of trying to live our lives apart from our author, God. And so There's no stability to life when we do this. There's no communal order that results from this kind of building. It just leads to the fracturing of community. Now, God knows this. This isn't about God being petty about the tower they're building. He knows that left to ourselves, our independence from him, the author of life, does not lead to anywhere good. And so towards the end of chapter 11, things look pretty bleak. We find humanity trying to make a name for themselves and failing. But then we read the remarkable words in chapter 12 where God picks out he picks out two people a man and a woman and he says something important to them he tells them that he will bless them again what does he say and i will make your name great Now let's let's pause here for a moment because here we have in two places chapter 11 and chapter 12 we come face to face with Two fundamental options in life. And, and and the question that faces us is this. Are we going to make a name for ourselves? Or are we going to allow God to make our name great? I mean, I find in my own story, I, I spent years trying to make my name great. Now, how did I try to make my name great? How did I elevate myself? Well... I did it by by pushing everybody down, by crushing anyone who got in my way. Um, And uh, over time, I realized, man, I, I make a lousy God, and a lot of people are being hurt along the way. And you see this all throughout history. Maybe you see it in your own life. God says to Abraham, I will make your name great. He says this to a man whose wife, we're told, was barren God enters into this couple's life and he says, I will make your name great. And five times, five times, God says to them, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. Though you are childless, though you are no longer young, through your child, through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And if you want to know the thread that runs through all of the Bible, it says, the story of Scripture, the story of the Bible is this promise being played out. Now it's awkward and it it's it gets messy, and the story of Israel is 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 kind of messy because rather than being a blessing to the nations, they saw this 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 great name as a badge to be worn and and, and, and they turned around and looked at the surrounding nations and rather than um, representing God to them, they took on many of the idolatrous practices around them. Instead of affecting the surrounding nations, they were infected by the surrounding nations. And things do not look good, especially by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament. But then in the opening of the New Testament, in the very first words of the New Testament, what do we see? What do we see in the book of Matthew? This is so cool. It says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. The New Testament tells us that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Jesus is the promise that is fulfilled. He is the one through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we see this played out in our church right now. We're from all different backgrounds, all different corners of the earth. Jesus is the one who's going to come and repair a broken world and to redeem broken lives. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're... Still in Genesis. Uh, So back to our immediate question. What is God going to do? Well, he's going to choose a man named Abraham and a woman named Sarah. And through these two unsung heroes, he's going to put into effect the rescue mission to save the world. But Abraham needs to respond to this. So what does God ask Abraham to do? He asks Abraham to do two things. Leave and trust. Leave and trust and trust. Abraham, he has to respond to this call. And just to be clear, so do we. God tells Abraham to leave and go. You know, I I read that, and I I hear echoes of Jesus' words to his disciples. Follow me. God calls Abraham to leave. Why? Why does he have to, To leave the city of Ur. But to put it differently, is Abraham going to love Ur or leave Ur? Okay, I know that was a really bad joke, but I was wanting to use it all week long. (laughs) So why does Abraham have to leave the city? Well, Ur was a polytheistic city. It had over 300 gods. Apparently, the downtown skyline was dominated by temples. Um, There's magic everywhere, superstition, prostitution, temple prostitution. It's all part of day-to-day life in Ur. And in light of all this, how could Abraham get a picture of this new reality, this new vision that God was calling him to while still living in Ur? Abraham had to be set free from the pull, the drag of the familiar culture in order to lay hold of this new vision that God was giving him. But here's a bigger question and a bigger challenge. In our culture, where, where do we go to get away I mean, the modern world is everywhere. Ur is everywhere. <laughs> so how do you and I, how do we leave the things in this world that drag us down? I think that's a big question. So let me ask you, what are some things in your own life that you need to leave? What do you need to leave in order to lay hold of the promises that God has for your life? What do you think about that. Now, not only do we need to leave, but we also need to trust. If leaving was difficult for Abraham, trusting was going to be even harder. And it's the same with us. To walk away is one thing, but to live out a life of discipleship is is not easy. It's it's, it's, it's difficult. It's, It's this long obedience for the rest of our lives. See, the life of faith calls us to trust the one who has called us. And... And I take great comfort in the fact that someone as great as Abraham, though he's really great, he's also a human being. And as we'll find out, his life of faith has is, is got its, its, its ups and downs. But a life of faith also doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfectly. Again, we see this in Abraham's life. But what does faith require us to do? Well, faith calls us to exchange the known for the unknown. I love God's call to Abraham. Abraham was called to where? He says, Abraham, go. Go to the land that I will show you. Now, if you're like me, if I'm Abraham, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go if you tell me where we're going. I, I want a little, a little more detail, God. I'm, I'm, I'm much more comfortable leaving if I knew what was next. And, and you notice that Abraham, he never, never lived to see himself a great nation. In fact, this trips him up on a number of occasions throughout his life. God, we're too old to have kids. Uh, My wife is barren. How am I going to become a great nation? How is this nation going to save the world? I just don't see it. No, the same with us. We may not see it. And yet in, in, in faith, Abraham experienced joy in the journey. As he walks with God, he grew to know him, to love him, to walk with him, and to trust him. And our call as Christians is to grow in the same knowledge, to grow in the love and the journey with the same God who called Abraham and Sarah. Now, where is he leading you? Well, he knows. The question is, is that enough for you? Is that enough for me? I think we can journey with confidence because of the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he invites us into a journey into the unknown. What does he say to us? He says, come, follow me. Now, I do want to know what's next, but often God doesn't tell us. He just tells us, he tells us to, to leave and to trust. And I think often we're faced with, with, with two key questions of life. One is, can I trust God? And the second question is, is Jesus really as loving as he says he is? And those are really big questions. And how you answer those questions will, will, will shape your life of faith. Now, the reality is, is that God can be trusted. It doesn't mean he's going to answer every one of our questions. And the reality is, is that he does love us so much. And we see this because of the cross. And so I think, you know, the question that, uh, that we have today is, are we going to trust him? Are we going to trust that the father is as good as the son says he is? And to trust is not just up here. The trust is here. It's what Martin Luther says is throwing ourselves on God, recognizing that he is God and we are not and trusting that he will make our name great. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you, and we acknowledge that there's times we just don't trust you. Well, we acknowledge that uh, we're distracted. The, the things of this world are, have too much hold of us. We acknowledge that on our own, we, we often try to make our name great. And we try to live our lives independently of you. And yet we come back to the realization, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we come back to you. And we say we want to leave the stuff that's going to kill us, the stuff that's dragging us down, the stuff that's distracting us. We want to leave that and, and, and follow you and trust you. Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts. Where are the areas of our lives that we need to leave behind? Where are the places that we need to leave? And where do we need to lean in and trust you more? Help us in this, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.